0: Welcome to the Church and Culture Podcast, a weekly discussion with Dr. James Emery White on the latest trends happening in culture and where and how the church should respond. Jim is the founding and senior pastor of Mecklenburg Community Church in Charlotte, North Carolina, president of Serious Times, a ministry devoted to exploring the intersection of faith and culture, former professor of theology and culture at Gordon Conwell Theological Seminary, where he also served as their fourth president, and the author of more than 20 books. I am your host, Alexis Dry, and I can't wait to Dive into this week's conversation, Jim. We've covered uh, a, a fair amount of pretty heavy topics the last couple of episodes, so I thought it might be fun to lighten things up a little bit for today's conversation. Um, today, I thought that instead we could talk about a figure in modern culture who I would say is casting a pretty large shadow in a variety of spheres with her influence. She's a cultural icon, and I, she's not just making waves. I I feel like more realistically, she's sending tsunamis into the you know the music and film industries, popular culture in general, the economy, higher education, most recently professional athletics. I may have given myself away with that last one, but any Swifties listening right now should probably know that I'm talking about Taylor Swift. Um, what's interesting, though, Jim, is that I mean you know this, but we haven't designated an entire podcast episode to a single person yet. So why might it be worthwhile to give Taylor Swift, of all people, that induction?
1: Well, we actually, we did. We did oh, an entire really? podcast on C.S. Lewis.
0: Oh, yes. that's yes, and, right.
1: and in a way, John Calvin in our discussion of Calvinism, but you're right, we haven't done a single podcast on anyone in celebrity or popular culture, at least like this. I guess our podcast on the Duggars or Hillsong could count, but in a different way, but you're right. This is different. This is someone who is simply a cultural phenomenon. Uh, You just can't talk about popular culture and not talk about Taylor Swift at the age of 33. uh, She is without a doubt, the world's biggest pop star. Uh, Her accolades are without parallel. Uh, She recently became the first female artist to have four albums on the Billboard 200 chart, that while she was deep in re-recording her early albums so that she could keep artistic uh, and financial control over her work. And her music isn't just popularly acclaimed, it's critically acclaimed. She's seen as one of the greatest songwriters of all time, and certainly of of our generation. She's won 12 Grammy Awards. She's won an Emmy Award. She's won, I think, something like 39 Billboard Music Awards, and the list goes on and on and on. Think about this fact. Uh, She is the first human being in history to become a billionaire with music as her primary source of income. Nobody's ever done that. But and she's the first celebrity to have a major media outlet, in this case, uh, the Gannett newspaper chain, which is the largest newspaper chain in the United States with over 200 local papers throughout the country. They also have the flagship national uh, publication, USA Today. She is the first person, first celebrity where they've hired a full time reporter. Just to cover her Hmm. full time, just to cover Taylor Swift. Uh, Then there is her imprint on the female psyche, which I think uh, could be an entire podcast on on its own. But uh, along with Barbie and Beyonce, 2023 was called the Billion Dollar Girl Summer uh, because all three events took in incredible amounts of money. And Taylor's concert, we can talk more about, but um, brought in at least that much, much more. And uh, the movie Barbie did as well. But Taylor is so much more in terms of cultural impact than Beyonce or Barbie. In fact, Harvard and the University of Florida both announced classes devoted to studying her. They just came out with those. Harvard is titling their class, Taylor Swift and Her World. And the University of Florida is calling theirs uh, musical storytelling with Taylor Swift and other iconic female artists. Uh, They're not alone. Uh, They're just the latest in a long line of uh, courses on her offered by University of Texas and Arizona State University and Stanford University and, and UC Berkeley even. And were, they were already offering classes on her. It all started uh, with uh, NYU, New York University, uh, by offering the first class ever on her work, which paid off for them because soon after that class was launched, uh, she received an honorary doctorate from the university and agreed to speak at their 2022 commencement. Uh, I don't think they had any trouble filling those seats. Nope. And then there is her impact on democracy. Uh in September, she posted a short message on Instagram to her 272 million followers to make sure to go out and register to vote. It was in celebration of National Voter Registration Day. And the site she directed them to was immediately got I mean immediately got more than 35,000 new registrations. And that was just instantaneously. And that was the most in a short period of time ever. It was a 23% jump over 2022. The number of 18 year olds who registered was double that for all of 2022. And in the hour after her post, there was a 1,226% increase in people going to that site, all from a single Instagram post and within minutes of posting it. so she's, she's a force and her current era's tour is the highest grossing stadium show of all time. And is credited with pumping $5 billion into the U S economy. Uh, and then if there were any holdouts and you alluded to this, you alluded to all of this, mm-hmm. but any holdouts in the Swifty world, like maybe male NFL fans, uh, she just conquered that by starting to date, um, at least at the time of this recording, she's dating a star tight end Travis Kelsey of the Kansas City Chiefs, and he himself has won two Super Bowls. So he was a big star in the NFL. So you added those two worlds together. So you add it all up. And yeah, this is she's worth a cultural conversation.
0: Yeah, my husband was just asking a friend of mine who's a, a, a pretty good Swifty, um, if, t- if she thought Taylor was going to show up at any particular future games because he had a fantasy football stock and wanting to know if she was going to be there. <laughs> oh, man. But, yeah, I mean, there's so many things we could talk about with her. Let's kind of start with her influence in the music industry because, I mean, I started listening to Taylor Swift I would say kind of when she when she started. Um, she started at age fourteen in country music, but she has not stayed in that lane. I mean, she has certainly broken out. She um, her music. I would say. Um, encompasses a lot of different genres. And so she's able to um to to appeal to so many different fans. Um you mentioned that this was the she just broke the record for having four albums in the top ten simultaneously. She also broke the record for having the most number one albums by a female artist, um, which is incredible. And then She also broke the record for having the most attended concert by any female artist in the U.S. with this year's tour. So, I mean, we say all of that, but I guess the big lingering question is, what is the magic ingredient that has afforded her such success? What do you think?
1: I think the key word for her success is authenticity. Uh, She lives a story and she tells about it. I read one interview where... She at, she responded to the reporter, "Well, you know, the world's been reading my diary for the last ten years. Um, there are jokes about her breakup songs with with former boyfriends, uh, but that's where the connection lies for people. She she does write about her life and her love and her heartaches and her ups and her downs. Think about her early work. Uh, what what young girl couldn't relate to the teenage, you know." angst of the song You Belong With Me, mm-hmm. you know, where she writes about a boy that she's got a crush on, but he's with another girl. And she kind of is the wallflower. And she kind of writes, she says, you know, she wears short skirts and I wear T-shirts. She wears high heels. I wear sneakers. Mm-hmm. She's on the cheer squad team and I'm in the bleachers. Mm-hmm. And 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 that that's high school for most people. Yeah, that's high school. And she's been doing that consistently for 20 years. Uh, people feel a genuine connection to her. Uh, her story is their story. Her voice is their voice. Her ups and downs, her her heartaches and her celebrations are theirs. In a day of emotional detachment, uh, she offers an emotional connection. Um, a good example is her recent performance on Saturday Night Live. She did a 10-minute version of her song, All Too Well. It's a breakup song and widely believed to be about the end of her relationship with Jake Gillenall. And it was, it was remarkable, if you've seen it. It was just remarkable. Uh, first, I mean, SNL has never allowed uh, anyone to do a 10-minute version of a song. Uh, second, uh, until Taylor Swift said she wanted to do that. Uh, I can't think of anyone who could pull off a 10-minute extended version of a song live like that. But she used it to tell a story and she had a film going on along with it. It was very creative. And, and with the film, telling the story along with, with the music and with enormous passion and, 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 and authenticity, you were pulled into the story of that song, the feeling, the emotion, the pain, the, the hope. Um, and, and, and these killer lines, you know, you're so casually cruel in the name of being honest you know, just these killer lines about mm-hmm. things. And that is what has marked her era's tour, uh, which has made so much news and attracted so many people. Uh, which, by the way, has now been made into a movie mm-hmm. that broke box office records and just announced will be released for streaming on her upcoming birthday. Mm-hmm. Uh, the three-hour show is, is storytelling at its, at its, at its best, uh, but an authentic story that people relate to and and want to be a part of, or that somehow helps them through their own story. The only other artist that I know of that does this is Bruce Springsteen. Um, Both offer this genuine connection uh, between themselves and their music and their audience. Um, You know, Philip Brooks did a, (laughs) who would think I'd be talking about Philip Brooks in in a Taylor Swift conversation, but Philip Brooks in a series of lectures at Yale University, in the 1800s, uh, gave a a description of preaching effectively that has been, you know, discussed ever since. And he simply described effective preaching, effective communication as truth through personality. Truth through personality. And I would say that that's what she does so well. Uh, People have said that when they experience her concerts, they experience realness and empathy and kindness and listening, a narrative that's big enough for for all to partake and to feel whole with yourself and with other people. Um, and and it's a and, and, and it's a it's a grace filled message. It, you know, it, she sings in one of her songs, um, you know, you're beautiful. Every little piece, love, don't you know, you're really going to be someone. Ask anyone. Uh, That's a message that people enjoy hearing and many need to hear and want to hear.
0: I want to talk a little bit more about that ERAs tour because it has been, gosh, like, I mean, a huge influence this year. Um, You mentioned the $5 billion, you know, prediction of of, uh, what it would generate. In fact, I was reading... Um, Dan Fleetwood, so he's president of Question Pro Research um, and Insights, and he was quoted saying that if Taylor Swift were an economy, she'd be bigger than 50 countries. Um, Put another way, that the opening night of that concert brought in more revenue than the the Super Bowl from the same year. In fact, the reporter said that Swift has been performing the equivalent of two to three Super Bowls every weekend for the past five months. Like that... I mean, when you think about it that way, that's incredible. And but something else I found in that same in those the, the same kind of articles about her concert were people often describing her concert as a spiritual experience. You want to talk a little bit about that?
1: They are, they are for many people, and so are Beyonce's concerts, and so I are mean, in a different way. So are Springsteen's. I mean, you just feel like you went to church. You know, I mean, you just feel like yeah, it went to a revival something. Mm-hmm. They are, excuse me, there is, there is a, a quasi-spiritual experience when you gather together with others and have a joint moment that is fueled by emotion and music. Now, if that seems like that describes something else, too. It does. That's what corporate worship entails. Uh, so you could consider these concerts a secular uh, substitute. For the experience of worship and i'm not saying that people who go there are consciously you know making the secular substitute but i'm saying that it is like a secular manifestation of a corporate worship experience Mm. Uh, the fact is that every single human being is incurably spiritual there's a reason for that we were made in the image of god that means we have a soul and that soul is meant to respond and relate to the living God. And if it isn't engaged in that, it will search for something to try and fill that, you know, God-shaped hole that Pascal talked about. We were made to worship. So if not God, we'll find something else to try and fill that void. Um, Now, no one is calling Taylor Swift God or even a goddess, but that doesn't mean she isn't offering away for people to engage in a quasi-spiritual way the worship they were made to give. Uh, so when I read one reporter described Swift's, when she went to L.A., and she did kind of a one-week transformation of L.A.'s stadium, they called it that, that during that week she transformed L.A.'s stadium into a cathedral. Mm-hmm. And and that was an in-person congregation, it became, for hundreds of of thousands of congregants and and when and when they use that kind of language i i, I wasn't surprised
0: mm. well in addition to her, I mean, just the mass revenue that she's bringing in and the appeal of her concerts and her music, another, I think, important and appealing aspect of Swift is her emphasis on friendship. Like in one of her songs, she sings about making friendship bracelets with others in order to connect over a shared experience. And so that's led her fans to exchange friendship bracelets with each other at her concerts. Like, how do you think that she is influencing, I would say, particularly younger generations in the area of friendship and community?
1: Yeah, it's interesting how even a throwaway line, I mean, can become a phenomenon. You were referencing a song off the Midnight's uh, album called You're On Your Own, Kid. And where she said something like, so make the friendship bracelets, take the moment and taste it. And all of a sudden, everybody started doing that. (laughs) I mean, it's just that simple. And of course, if people don't know what we're talking about with friendship bracelets, they're just what you think they are. They're just beads on a string for the wrist. Very simple, very homemade. Uh, That's the whole point. You make them yourself. Use colored beads or beads with letters or um, spelling things out. You make them so that you can, for yourself, to give to others, to trade with others. Uh, Start up conversations. They're becoming a thing for the fans with many of them using the bracelets to spell out words or lyrics or album titles or phrases from Swift's life. Even the names of Swift's cats. Uh, She's got three or something. Her fans have bonded over these. They see each other at a concert or in line at a concert and they start talking about each other's bracelets and what it means to them and and trading them with each other. And many times the bracelets reflect the era of her music that they most like and they most appreciate. Uh, but to your question, I think she, I think she's fostering friendship and community through the joint communal appreciation of her music. Uh, the experience of, of attending a, a concert or film Uh, together with other people. This really isn't anything new. I mean, people have always bonded over shared interests and appreciations. And young people have particularly bonded uh, with each other over music uh, throughout time. When I was growing up, I mean, you would just go to a friend's house and just listen to music that you both liked together or that your friend was trying to get you to like, or you were trying to get them to like, oh, you got to hear this, listen to the lyrics, you know, and you'd do that. It was one of the most bonding things that there that there was. Uh, what Swift is offering, and the friendship bracelets are just a symbol of it, a reflection of it, is, is what has been called strategic and intentional inclusion. Uh, but she's also modeling something, particularly to young girls, Um, you know, one of the, one of the things that you'll, you'll hear attached to Swift is that she's a girl's girl. And, and what is meant by that, it's meant positively, uh, not girly girl, you know, like, but a girl's girl, meaning that she's the kind of girlfriend a girl would want to have as a girlfriend, you know, pull your hair back when you're throwing up or be there on the phone with you when you're sad or, or, you know, go with you to some place and stand with you. And she... She is a girl's girl, and she likes to have girlfriends, and she likes to be with her girlfriends, and she's a good friend to them by all accounts. Uh, when she breaks up with a boyfriend, you 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 see her running to her girlfriends and her entourage, and she goes to award ceremonies with, uh, you know a, a, you know a group of of her friends. So she's modeling and encouraging um, friends and friendship, uh, albeit perhaps on a superficial level. Uh, trading a friendship bracelet or talking through a breakup is not as robust as the biblical one another's, for example. But again, like her 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 concerts and like her worship, this all kind of is offering kind of this at least this this vision of community, if not pseudo community.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and she's certainly referred to as an icon of female empowerment. I mean that you can see that in her lyrics about femininity, um, in um, uh, her—I mean her success, her her as you mentioned earlier, her fight to reclaim the master rights to her music, her ability to overcome a lot of um, criticism. In fact, turn that criticism into number one hits on the charts, but. I I say all that, but I just, I, I'm curious as to get your response on this, like before parents wholeheartedly embrace Swift as like a, the supreme role model for their girls. Is there any caution that you might give them?
1: Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> read the lyrics hmm. and, and, and you know just, and like her concert suggests, read them as you go through the eras. Hmm. Uh, there's a fairly significant difference between the Taylor Swift who wrote um, love song, you know, Romeo and Juliet and teenage romance stuff. And even by the time you get to her sixth album, which was called Reputation, uh, that came out in 2017, which is much more overtly mature mm-hmm. in terms of talking about uh, sex. Mm-hmm. And by the album Midnights, which was released in 2022, I mean, by that point, if you've heard it, you know that she... Uses profanity. She drops the f-bomb. I mean, it's 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 quite a progression over the years in terms of just what the way her music writing. Um, so you know what she wrote when she was 13 <laughs> to 19 uh, may be fine for your 13 year old to enjoy and 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 have a catharsis with, but maybe not what she needs to be listening to when with what Taylor was writing at 33. Um, so like anything with parenting, be involved and, and, and be informed. So, um, but let's also be clear about issues related to faith and spirituality. I find some parents assuming, you know, she's just the quintessential all American good girl next door who loves Jesus. In truth, Taylor Swift has said very little about matters of faith. Um, and it's very clear that she's been, you know, active in her boyfriend life. We'll leave it at that. Whether that is because she's private about such things, uh, careful about cultivating her fan base and not wanting to offend anyone, or just lukewarm about it all, we don't know. The most explicit statement of faith uh, from Taylor came from the Netflix documentary, uh, Miss Americana. Um, and, and in it, there's a clip from 2018 where it's kind of like she lets her guard down about things. And she's arguing with, with her team about whether or not to make a public statement, a political statement in favor of a Democratic candidate in an upcoming election. She wants to support the Democratic candidate. Uh, Her team thinks it would alienate her conservative Republican Christian base, or at least that part of her base, um, and kind of go against this Tennessee Bible Belt girl image that swirled around her in her early years. The discussion was around uh, the election of a senator. Um, her name was uh, Marsha Blackburn, uh, who had been running ads, and who had voted f- for various legislation that Swift didn't like, and believed that people should be able, like a bakery or someone like that, should be able to refuse gay couples, you know, from doing artistic things like that. And what Taylor says in her clip, and I, I brought this with me, so I quote her correctly. Um, she said. I just can't see another commercial and see Marsha Blackburn disguising these policies behind the words Tennessee Christian values. I live in Tennessee. I'm a Christian. That's not what we stand for. That's the most blatant that she's been about her faith and not to mention her politics. But again, that was back in 2018 in more recent songs, particularly in relation to issues of pain and suffering. She seems to be searching for answers. Uh, unclear on just where God is in the grand scheme of things. And you hear this in songs like uh, Soon You'll Get Better uh, from the Love uh, Lover album and also in the in the in the song um, Bigger Than the Whole Sky from her Midnight's album. Uh, There was one analysis of this side of Taylor's life and music put it well i think it's it's interesting how they did it and we'll put the we'll our, the link to this article in the show notes along with many many other links of things that i've been drawing from in my own research and study on on her it seems like you've got two tailors. um the early taylor the later taylor the first was an uncompl- had an uncomplicated yet sincere relationship with god one that fit with her bible belt upbringing the second Taylor, uh, seems to only turn to God in times of crisis. Uh, one, which is much more typical of a mainstream secular world that she now inhabits. Some have tried to find where she had this kind of breakdown in her faith when it happened, how it happened, where it happened. And they've kind of pointed right or wrong, uh, to her relationship with the singer, John Mayer, uh, when he was, uh, 32 years old and she was just 19 as evidence in the song would have, should have, could have, if you're familiar with that one, which is commonly thought to be about mayor in that song, she talked about how, if she had never, if he had never touched her, and we'll have to read between the lines of what she means by that. But he said, if he had never touched her, she would have gone along with the righteous. Hmm. Um, And she adds, you're a crisis of my faith. So we don't know what all that was about, but uh, I thought one person put it insightfully uh, when they said that it seems like Swift seems to still be reaching out to God when she is unable, uh, and and when she is unable to find him, she's tried to find salvation in romantic love,
0: Hmm.
1: going from relationship to relationship, looking for that. Hmm.
0: Well, as we mentioned earlier, there's so many things that we could talk about, but just for the sake of time, I'm going to ask one more question. And I I feel like it's kind of been looming in the background of this conversation. You know, certainly Taylor Swift is talented. There's much to appreciate about what she's done on the music scene, the cultural scene. But where is the line between artist appreciation and then potentially idolatry? And then how can people be careful not to cross that line? Yeah.
1: Well, the short definition of the nature of idolatry is is putting someone or something in the place of God in your life. You know, to worship anyone or anything in place of God. I think it's easy to get clarity about that. But what of that in relation to Taylor Swift and the phenomenon around her? That takes getting a few other things, I think, out on the table besides just a short, pithy definition of idolatry. There was a good article on idolatry and Taylor Swift that Christianity Today did that we'll, again, link in the show notes that gave a, a fuller you know, exploration of this. One of the things it raised was how C.S. Lewis reflected on the values of music, whether secular or explicitly spiritual, as a medium that could serve to point the listener to the divine. He had what he considered a transcendent experience with music himself. And if you're familiar with the life of Lewis, you know that it was primarily the work of Wagner, um, the operas of Wagner, uh, for example. And he believed that Christians had the capacity uh, to allow musical beauty to turn them toward God. He once wrote, "If he, one of the more interesting ways to get at Lewis's thought is to read his letters. Uh, I've got three massive thick volumes that are just his letters. It's really some very interesting reading, but in one of, uh, a letter to one of his readers uh, about the human response to music. Uh, he said, I think every natural thing which is not in itself sinful can become the servant of the spiritual life, but none is automatically so. When it is not, it becomes either just trivial as music is to millions of people or a dangerous idol. So I, I don't think we can make a blanket statement about whether all of the adulation is idolatry, some of it could be, much of it isn't. Uh, there's a difference between art appreciation and syncretism, or idolatry, or even being moved spiritually by art, which I very much am. Um, whether it's music or drama or or paintings or sculpture or whatever, I'm I'm, I'm there's a high spiritual sensitivity. In me with those things, but back to Taylor. It's not the music itself that would be an idol, of course. It would, it would, it would be her. It would be her. Everyone at her concerts is there to see and hear her. If that's the nature of your spiritual experience, experiencing her, and it, if that's it, then yes, we've we've crossed the line into idolatry. Um, and if you're purposefully intending for her to be your spiritual experience. But if it's the artistry and the music itself that you find spiritually inspiring and transcendentally moving, um, then I just think that's just the power of art. And and as is often said, um, all truth is God's truth wherever you encounter it, and it can be appreciated and loved and embraced and celebrated wherever it's found. And that includes music.
0: Hmm. Well, this was a rich conversation. I think any Swifty would be proud of our appreciation of Taylor, but also with the appropriate warning signs attached, I think. So thank you, Jim. And I wanted to just mention one real quick thing before we sign off. Um, If you didn't miss, if you didn't catch last week's episode, um, I had mentioned that we have a new feature on our, on the Church and Culture um, website and we'll include it in the show notes as well. But we wanted to make sure that you knew that we would love to hear what you would like for us to talk about. You can submit your topic suggestions or even if you were seeking clarification or wanted us to talk more about something that we've already talked about. That's that We would love to do that. I mean, we, we are here to serve, you know, your intersection with, of ch- church and culture and what would be most helpful for you as you're out in the world. And so let us know if there are things that you'd like for us to talk about. So you can do that on that website. So again, there we'll link it in the show notes. Or if you just want to click over to churchandculture.org and click the podcast tab, uh, scroll all the way to the bottom, and there's a place there where you can um, submit your request. And hopefully we'll get to this sometime soon. But yeah. Thank you again, Jim. Thank you guys for listening. And as always, we hope you'll join us again next week.